This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out watchcityresearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 97 UX Things podcast. This is Dan Berlin, your host. And today I am joined with John Robinson, who is Principal in Experience Strategy and Design at Slalom Consulting. And he's here to talk about his chapter, Embrace Your Ignorance, today. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks, Dan. Nice nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise, and thanks for coming on uh, the, the podcast and for writing your chapter. Uh, can you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, so like you said, um, I'm a principal in our experience strategy and design group in Slalom, in our, uh, based out of St. Louis, in our St. Louis office. Um, we are a global consulting firm that has like 35 to 40-ish locations worldwide. Um, our St. Louis office has been around for something like four years or so now. We have a pretty robust um, experience strategy and design group. I think there are about 25 to 30 of us, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we kind of, uh, I always describe our team as like about half of us are designers, half of us are researchers, strategists, few of us can kind of lean both ways and do both. Um, but we do a lot of like agile product development, uh, customer experience, service design, uh, really any kind of problem that can be solved with a, a human-centered uh, approach to design. So, Great. Are there any domains that you tend to work in or particularly like working in? You know, industries uh, yeah. or verticals? Uh, you know, just just about anything. Uh, you know, recently, um, healthcare is something I've kind of been drawn to as in terms of an industry, um, mainly because my my wife. I've been like a partner to my wife on this long healthcare journey over the last several years, and I've spent a lot of time in doctors' offices and hospitals, and a lot of time kind of reflecting and going, well, mm. you know, that could be a lot better. Um, and right. so that's yeah something I've been drawn to a little more the last uh, last few years. I've been lucky enough to work with a few healthcare clients and, and focus on those types of problems. So that's, that's been really nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. And can you tell us about your career trajectory, where you started off and how you wound up where you are today? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm a bit of a, um, a UX transplant. I, I mm-hmm. think I would describe it as um, my background. Uh, I come from the design side, uh, really the, you know, the creative agency world for the most part. Um, like most designers, I, went through a traditional graphic design program um, rooted in like, you know, the fine arts school uh, at a small college in um, central Illinois, uh, Illinois Wesleyan University. I actually taught there as well after I um, finished grad school. And I've, I've been a, um, teaching design for about seven years um, as kind of like a, you know, a, not a side hustle necessarily, but just something I've kind of been passionate about. And, sure. and, and one of the main reasons I actually went to um, went to back to school to get uh, a graduate degree was because I wanted to teach. It was you know, more of like a qualification that I wanted, uh, a box I wanted to check, I guess, mm. to a degree. Um, and I just recently um, have decided to kind of take a, a bit of a break from teaching just because I've been doing it for seven or so years. And uh, it, it's tough. It's tough to balance it with, you know, being busy with work um, and teaching online right. in an entire online environment for the last year and a half has has really changed you know, the way that I can approach it. Um, but, but going back to where we started, um, yeah. So I, I, you know, it was interesting because I didn't, I always took art classes in high school and I didn't really know much about design. Um, it was kind of a, a fledgling thing to me. And, and originally I, I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to go into communications, hmm. um, because being from St. Louis area, uh, guys like, 
Jack Buck and Bob Costas were like just as big as other sports heroes, you know, around here. And yep. so like, oh, I wanted to do that. Um, and luckily I had a high school guidance counselor that was like, aren't you really good at art? And I said, yeah. And he's like, maybe you should, maybe you should do art. And I was like, oh, I guess you're right. And that was pretty much how that happened. Um, and when I got to school, uh, as an art student, I, I saw like, wow, you can do art on computers. And, and that's kind of what drew me to design. And, yeah. and I, I definitely want to talk about that whole <laughs> concept later, but, um, you know, I started as a print designer, um, eventually kind of moved into the agency world, um, uh, did a lot of branding, did a lot of consumer like packaged goods design, um, and, and designed my first website. Um, my first like legitimate website, right? Yeah. Uh, I took some web design classes back when I was in college where we like designed everything in Photoshop and sliced it up and exported it. Not real web design as at least most the, the way that most people would think of it today. 1.0. Um, yeah, yeah web, web, early web. Um, so yeah, so I, I kind of just, uh, you know, I made that transition from like primarily a brand designer to a consumer packaged goods designer to a little bit of a UX designer, but not quite because it was more in the, in the marketing creative agency world. It was very mm. focused on, you know, like making pretty things, um, and not really focused on metrics or solving bigger problems. Uh, I always say that like, you know, in that world, we treated things like that more like projects than, than products. Hmm. Right. And, and you kind of, approached each one as an individual thing in itself. And, and once you were done with it and you launched a website, you kind of moved on to the next thing. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I eventually learned that there's a better way. And, and that's kind of how I, I made my transition over to UX. Excellent. So thanks for that. Uh, so how did you get into UX? Yeah. Um, so I kind of, you know, I, I loved the, the design world, um, and, and, and all the, you know, work I had done in the agency world, I, I kind of started to think, you know, I looked at my portfolio and I said to myself, like, I'm, I'm really happy. I've, I've made a lot of great work that I'm really proud of, but I started to question the value of it, you know? And I always tell people that, um, you know, I used to like use design to, sell products and now I use it to solve problems, which has like mm. this much uh, higher inherent value in it. Um, I used to like design for people and now I design with people. And I started to think about things like that, like what's really important to me. Um, and that's, and that's kind of what one out. Um, but I actually, there was kind of like a moment where I realized that it was, it was time for me to, I'd, I'd been interested right. In, in user experience for a while. And I didn't really know exactly what all that was. And I read and read. And, and by the way, like if you're looking to get into anything new, reading about it, talking to people about it, by mm -hmm. far the best way to, to kind of self-educate yourself on things. Absolutely. And I remember that I had designed a website several years prior. Um, and just like what I was saying, it was very much treated by the client like, OK, we're done with this thing it's out there now in the world and we'll just let it like take care of itself. And we could yep. never convince anyone to, to do anything. And they, they came back to us like four years later um, and they wanted to make some content updates and nothing had changed with this thing that we had like designed and launched out into the world in four years. We, you know, we set it out with like, I think it had like three blog posts on it or something. And four right. years later, it was like the same three blog posts, nothing, nothing had changed. Um, and that to me was like this kind of like 
part one of a turning point of like, what, what, what am I doing here? Um, am I really making anything that's helping anybody or solving any problems? Um, and the bigger thing was, which really leads into the topic that I covered in my chapter was I felt like the agency world was so focused on this, the client is always right mentality and trying to make the client happy, right? Because they're the ones paying for the work that the idea of asking questions was more and more often um, being discouraged. And I was actually working on a project for a, a big box store. It was Costco or, or Sam's Club or one, you know, one of those two. And uh, I, you know how like the, the stuff is all in these big cardboard boxes. And when a box is empty, they, they rip the top yeah. off of another yeah. cardboard box, right? And for display. Yeah, for the displays. And I was designing like one of those cardboard boxes and uh, the client came back and wanted some revisions and said, like, we have data that shows X works better or whatnot. Yeah. And I and I, you know, I said, well, that's not a problem, but like, let's ask them to, to send that data. I'd like to see that data. And I was told, like, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to we're just going to hmm. do what they want. And I said, you know, I'm from my opinion, I'm like, I'm not arguing. I just I just want to see the data. Right. And and I was like, you know, no, no, no we're, we're definitely not going to do that. Um, so that for me was the, the idea that, you know, not ask, not asking questions with the intent to form a larger or just a more valuable understanding around the reasons mm-hmm. behind the decisions that we were making. Yep. Um, that, that for me was like, well, it, it's time for something different because this is no longer aligning with really the way that I think or the way that I want to work or the type of work I want to do as, as just a person in general. Yep. And not asking questions, it only, not only limits the reasons, but also the, uh, the possibilities, right? When it comes to the design, if you can't ask questions, that limits your possibilities. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, um, you know, I say like, it makes you very inflexible, hmm. right? It leaves things very inflexible. Um, so I started having conversations with Slalom. I was really interested in, we were kind of, you know, locally building up this team and, and on my first day, uh, I spoke to our general manager at the time and I told her that exact story and she kind of pointed at me and she was like, I have a challenge for you. I don't want you to ever stop asking questions. Right. I want right. you to ask every question you think of, no matter how dumb you might think it is. And that's, you know, like my, the, I'm charging you with this. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the point where I felt like, well, I'm not only in the right place, but I think I've made the, the right move to the right industry. <laughs> yeah, so. no, absolutely. That's one of my favorites too. It's right. We're always asking questions. Everything's always changing. That means we always have to continue asking questions. Um, it's what we do. Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, that 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 actually sounds like it led into your chapter. Uh, that sounds uh, what you, the yes. way uh, you you got here sounds very similar to your chapter, um, embracing your ignorance. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, I actually I start the chapter off with. Um, you know, this idea like kind of formulated and I marinated on it for a while. And then I was reading uh, this book by Neil deGrasse Tyson called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Mm. I, I'm sure a lot of, I think it's one of his like more popular digestible books. And in it, yep. he said, um, ignorance is the natural state of mind for a research scientist. And for me, that was kind of like it, it clicked, right? It resonated almost immediately. And so I started using that in talks uh, when I was, you know, uh, at conferences or talking to students about the field. And, and the more I kind of thought about it, like I, I also made this connection to um, the Socratic paradox, which is something like, 
the um the only like real or the only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing right 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 and that kind of set me very down zen. this whole path uh, go ahead sorry i said very zen yes yes and i'm not really like a zen type of person but but for me that was you know very much like it is deep uh, you know I, I thought like wow that's that's actually that's actually really cool but not a lot of people that's not something that would resonate with a lot of people, right? Hmm. The idea that you can be comfortable with, with not knowing something or that you can really, you know, embrace the, the concept of saying, I, I don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Um, especially, you know, when I was a young designer starting out, like I thought I knew everything and I thought I always would. And I also thought that that was part of what I was supposed to, to be like who I was supposed to be or what I was supposed to do as a professional was have all the answers, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, especially when you work with clients and you're trying to like convince people that you should, you should come want to work with us or the, you know, the ideas that we have are like very solid and profound and, and, you know, you're trying to sell people on things. But if it's not informed by anything other than like the way that you think about it personally, then, you know, you're just wasting your time. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I kind of like, you know, I've always been the type of person who wants to understand things. I, when I was a kid, my, my grandmother owned an, uh, a light fixture store and I would hang out there in the summers and she would give me like boxes full of parts, like electrical parts. And I would try to take things apart and put them back together. Um, you know, every time I got like a stereo or something, I always wanted to like rip it apart and see if I could figure out how to reassemble it. Um, so it, 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 that kind of combined with like an inherent, um, need to, you know, to, to, to get deeper on things and, it's like every time you um you you use the the Coca-Cola freestyle machine and you wonder like man how does my root beer not taste like orange soda like how how does it how does this thing work um so for me then it was just it just became like you know I'm I'm never going to be afraid to ask questions any longer mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it's actually came up in uh, the, the previous episode uh, about humbling oneself mm -hmm. yeah. uh, especially in UX um, and, and very similar here where, uh, we, one has to humble themselves in order to embrace the ignorance. Any, any tips for folks in, 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 uh, in terms of how to do that? Yeah. And, and I, I kind of like tend to call it like uh, practicing constructive ignorance. I, hmm. I don't, I, I didn't necessarily, I don't know if I coined that term or if it makes any sense, but that's just the way that I describe it. Um, and yeah, a few of the like key, you know, actionable ways that I point out of how you can support this idea, um, is, you know, kind of what you said, like finding courage to explore things that you don't know or or finding like um, joy in wanting to understand things at a deeper level. Right. Um, going back to, you know, that the reason I start off with this whole quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson is. For me, UX research is a science. Um and here I talk about how all my background is from the design world. So for me, I'm constantly trying to, to beef up more and balance the art and the science in my own practice. Treating UX research like a science, uh, it's more important to like approach problems with no hypothesis, right? And really mm -hmm. understand that the goal of an experiment isn't to try to, pre to predict the outcome. You're not trying to validate something yep that you think is going to happen. Um, but it's really that like you want to answer something that you can't predict, right? You just want to know the answer, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, I guess I'll throw out a caveat there, though, yeah. to play devil's advocate. Um, totally agree in terms of more formative and even evaluative work and research. But when it comes to summative at the end, uh, I think we do want some hypothesis of, okay, you know, at a summative study, a summative usability study, for example, our hypothesis is, is that there's going to be zero friction in this experience. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one devil's advocate thing I can think of there. Yeah, certainly. And then, then that's okay, right? Like you also have to be okay with the fact that if you did have an assumption to begin with and you find out that you were totally wrong, you have to be accepting of that and say like, Love okay, it. it's time to pivot. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and last is like, you know, which really plays off of that is instead of trying to validate assumptions or, and like whether it's your assumptions or someone else's assumptions, like you really want to challenge those assumptions. Yeah. Which goes right back to me wanting to see that data from Costco or wherever it was. Right. <laughs> so, any tips there? So this is something I do hear from folks in terms of uh, convincing folks and, you know, being able to ask those questions um, and, uh, you know, dealing with the, the, the hippo, you know, uh, uh, the, the highest paid person in the room. Yeah. Um, any, any tips on uh, in enabling uh, humbleness in others and um, having others embrace their ignorance? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I mean, that's, that's really where this comes from a lot of the time is everyone who's listening has probably at some point been in a room with a, a larger number of people and they've thought, am I the only one who doesn't understand what's being talked about or discussed here, right? Mm -hmm. Was everyone else seems to like just be nodding their heads and saying, yes, this is perfect. We, we all get it. And, and, you know, you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, Am I just not getting it or does no one is really no one else like, well, there you're probably not the only one. Um, but yeah, how do you, how do you convince yourself that it's okay to be the person to speak up and say, I'm sorry, yep. but you know, I, I've got a few questions here. They may be stupid questions. They may be obvious questions. Um, but, you know, that is a tough thing to do. And I don't know that I necessarily have any advice for someone who's, you know, like if you're the type of person who's scared to ask that question, other than don't be afraid to ask that question, um, yeah. because it's very likely that as soon as you do, you're going to have someone else speak up and say, like, you know, I've been wondering this, too. You know, you'll see another hand or two raise. Um, it, it's, it's for me, it's a valuable tactic to just say like, okay, I'm going to ask a couple obvious questions here just because I want to make sure yep. that we're all on the same page and approaching it from like a collective understanding, I think is maybe a little bit of an easier way to get other people on board. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, and, and something I always tell folks is that, you know, if you think that you are the only person in the room thinking something, you're probably not. Mm -hmm. um, there's always folks, you know, whose minds are are, are aligned. Um, also, when when you do ask that question, you open up the door for others to open the uh, to ask the questions that may they may have. Yeah. Um, so you're enabling others. So yeah, I agree. Just like ask your questions. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, great. So this is, this has been wonderful. So, and actually, so, uh, this has all been full of advice in terms of, um, how to embrace your ignorance and chat with others about it. Um, last part of the ep uh, episode we'd like to do is giving that piece of advice. Um, so yeah. is there another, another piece of advice that you'd like to, to convey to folks? Yeah, it's, and it's a bit of a two-parter. Um, 
And it mainly comes from the fact that it it comes from my time, you know, uh, teaching design students uh, for the last several years. And the the first thing, like night one that I usually have to kind of try to communicate to all my students. So this is like design advice, right? Is you're not an artist. Um, And that's something that a lot of young designers, people breaking into this field kind of struggle with concept wise. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of designers consider this, themselves artists, they might practice art in their own time. So I'm not trying to offend anyone, but, you know, like I said earlier, design programs are often rooted in the fine arts world, right. And, and students kind of come to this with foundational art, understanding painting classes, drawing classes. Um, and you know, when I said, what, like I said, when I, when I have a new group of students come in. Um, the first thing that I really try to communicate to them is like design and art, they share similar qualities, but they're two fundamentally different disciplines. Hmm. And a lot of people think that it's kind of a fine line, but I think it's more of like a colossal gap, really. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, art is, is about the artist design is about the audience or the user. And that's, I think like something that all of us need to understand on the yeah. UX side, right? Um, art's subjective, di- design is objective, art expresses creativity, design uh, leverages creativity. And like, we can go on and on and on about that. Um, but I think that anyone who's like looking to get into either the design um, practice or UX in, in any way uh, who is interested in design needs to just understand that people will call you an artist. They will praise how pretty and beautiful the things are that you make. And it's okay to educate people otherwise that, you know, this is a goal-based um, practice, right? Yep. Uh, and and kind of point number two off of that is that uh, all designers start as copycats. I always say this, all designers yep. start as copycats and that is okay. Yep. And some of the worst advice that I got when I was young was someone who I trusted um, because he seemed very successful to me, told me, don't go look at the work that other people are producing. And I re- it took me a long time to realize like that was very bad advice, right? Like yeah. you have to be aware of what your contemporaries are doing. You have to be aware of, uh, you know, common patterns and expectations that people have from products they use. Um, and it's really inspiration. Like, yeah. 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 It's, and it's not, it, not just inspiration, but for understanding too, mm-hmm. you know, like understanding what works and what doesn't work. And, um, it's like the same way that when I was a kid, I learned to draw by copying drawings or tracing over drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us would likely never stand up and take steps if we never saw anybody else do it. Right. 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 Like that's an inherent human thing that we learn by seeing others do something and, and, and copying that. Um, so, you know, an important part of like growing an expertise in anything is learning to see problems through the eyes of an expert. And so I encourage anyone who wants to design, uh, you know, mobile applications or websites or anything else, the posters, it doesn't matter what it is. It's okay to go out there and, and feed, you know, uh, yourself with as much as you can find. And it's okay to copy those things. Just don't put them in your portfolio. Right. <laughs> Copying is right. a personal exercise for learning and growing. So, yep. Great. Well, thanks for all of that advice. Yeah. Uh, this this um, chat has been full of advice, whether it's in terms of uh, career trajectory and, and humbling oneself and uh, art and design. So that's wonderful. Thanks for that, Sean. Thank you. Um, so that'll wrap it up for this episode. Um, 
And thanks again to John Robinson for coming in, discussing his chapter, Embrace Your Ignorance. Thank you. And um, thanks for listening in, everyone. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.